from the we're blessed to have Evan bring out the word of God this morning. Uh, we're going to read from the Gospel of John and chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 4. And we're going to read from verses 1 through to 26. This is a great story where Jesus meets the woman from Samaria. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptising more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water... Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? As did also he will be and his lives again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husbands. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you, am he. Thank you, Mel. Uh, thank you very much, uh, everyone, for having me here this morning. It's an honour to be able to join you and proclaim God's word. And, uh, you know, I want to say thank you for uh, calling me to do that. And it just occurred to me as well a minute ago, actually, to say thank you as well for uh, helping me out before you even had met me. Uh, a little while ago, I was. Uh, uh, you, a lot of you know I'm studying at uh, the Baptist College at Morling College, and I've just finished uh, the Baptist Distinctive course, all about what makes Baptist Baptist and Baptist history and all that sort of stuff. And I sent out this survey because I had to do this assignment on a um, 
an issue affecting a Baptist church. And I thought, oh, maybe, I don't know, like maybe 10 or 15 people will answer my little survey. Uh, and uh, I was overwhelmed. I got 50, I think. It was more than 50 responses back. And uh, you'll be pleased to know, I'm sure, that uh, I passed the assignment. Uh, that was all good. So, yeah, I wanted to say thank you. Um, also, as I said, I, I want to say, uh, as I said before, thank you for, uh, for calling me to proclaim God's word. And we're going to listen to God's word together. So as we do that, uh, let's ask him uh, to help us with that. So join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, this morning, give us faith to receive your word, understanding to know what it means, and the will to put it into practice through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, uh, on coming into the church uh, for the first time, you notice uh, something very prominent above the doorway, uh, something that the tagline to the church here at Tari Baptist Church, what is it? A river of life. And I was really interested by that image, uh, the very obvious, you know, using the very obvious natural feature of the area in the tagline of who we are and what we are about uh, as a people. Uh, You know, the river has movement. What does it do? It brings life and nourishment to the land around it as it flows out to the sea. And it's it's a wonderful image of who we are. And so when Chris asked me to preach last week, that would, you know, you can you can sort of see why this story came to mind straight away. We're going to look at that story in just a minute where Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at a well and he talks about living water welling up and all these sorts of things. But before that, I want to explain myself uh, and just explain something that that Chris mentioned last week. Uh, And that was that when he came into my office on about the second day that I'd been in there, uh, this is what he was greeted by. I took a little photo for you so that you can, in case you don't ever go up there, that's my, my poster he was talking about, celebrating the 2005 uh, grand final win for the Sydney Swans, and then he came in the next day, and I, I showed him how I've got my mug as well from 2012. And Amy, uh, my wife uh, up the back there, she thought, you should, no, don't. I told her I was going to bring those in. I got it laminated especially. She said, no, don't, don't bring those things in. You just, you're just stirring. But look, I just want to explain that, no, well, see, what happened was, yes, the Swans won that grand final uh, by four points, but the next year, Chris's team, and they, they beat Chris's team, the West Coast Eagles that year, but the next year, Chris's team beat the Swans by a single point. And then they've both won a premiership since. So, you know, it evens out, right? I can't be accused of, of stirring. Um, now, I mention that not just to explain myself, but also as a way of thinking about, well, well where does this story hit the road for us that we've heard today? Uh, you know, we spend a lot of time and energy thinking about things, pouring uh, money and resources into things that we think are going to satisfy us. And that was what I was like as a teenager I loved sport. I mean, I still love sport, but I remember one day when I was about 18 years old, I was sitting out on the balcony of a friend's house, and the friend's dad said to me, Evan, what gets you going? I mean, why do you get up in the morning? And I said, oh, I just think about cricket. I just, just to play cricket on Saturday. And he was like the club selector, and he goes, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. <laughs> now, I haven't played cricket in about 15 years, because in the end, it got so frustrating. I actually broke my arm. And uh, I started spending time on a Saturday with Amy and going to the beach and just thinking, this is really nice not to be standing out in a hot paddock on 40-degree days. Wow, there's something else. Um, But, you know, that's just one area where, you know, you can see that that sport just doesn't bring lasting satisfaction. And and I went to that grand final in 2005, and it was an amazing experience. I took a bus down to Melbourne. And at the end of the game, they sing the, cheer, the, the team song, and I was all excited. But even in that moment, there was still, I really remember thinking, huh, 
So this is it. This is a premiership. Next year, Sydney are just one of the 16 teams in the competition again. Wow, that's as, that's as good as it gets. And by that time, I was a Christian. I just remember thinking, I'm really glad this is not all that I live my life for. Because when you think about it, there's, there's, you know, what really lasts and gives true satisfaction? What lasts? I mean, your, your job, your studies, your relationships, money, cars, possessions. Are you going to put all of your life's energy into acquiring things and look to those things for lasting satisfaction, or does Jesus offer something better? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. This morning, we're looking at uh, this incident in Jesus' life that John records, and we'll see how this encounter with a Samaritan woman reveals to us the satisfaction that Jesus can bring to our lives. And I pray that as we leave this place, we'll see that we're a river of life, offering nourishment and goodness to a world that so desperately needs it, and can't find that in anything else. What is it that Jesus offers that truly satisfies? Let's have a look at the story together. We'll go through it. So we can see verses 1 to 3. It sets up the scene for us. Jesus has been ministering in Judea, the center of the Jewish religion, and he heads back to Galilee, passing through a Samaritan village. In verse 6, you can see that Jesus gets tired on the way, which is a kind of nice little reminder that Jesus is fully human and he gets tired. He truly became one of us. It's midday, it's possibly hot, and so he sits down for a little break at a well, and it's a well dug by that really uh, famous, influential Old Testament figure, Jacob, and this Samaritan woman comes out in the heat of the day when no one else is around to draw water for herself. So Jesus has the opportunity to speak into this woman's life in verse 7. And he says to her, he says, if if she uh, understood just who he was, she would know... Uh, so she, uh, I'm skipping ahead. In verse 7, uh, he asks if she could give him something to drink. And in verse 9, we see that she's kind of surprised that Jesus, this Jewish man, would be speaking to her. Now, there's two reasons, I think. One, the rabbis or the Jewish teachers at the time just taught that just, it wasn't the thing to do. A, a, Jew, a man just shouldn't speak to a woman like that in public. But the really significant issue is where she's from, that she's a Samaritan. And the issue is that there's this deep cultural divide and religious divide between Samaritans and Jews. I read uh, that uh, a first century account said that it often uh, spilt over into violence between these two groups sometimes. There was really deep animosity. Years ago, hundreds of years before Jesus came along, the, uh, the Israelite, the Jewish kingdom, had been divided into north and south. And the north was centered around Samaria. And the south was centered around Judea and Jerusalem. And this northern kingdom, Samaria, was defeated by an Assyrian army before uh, the south got defeated later on. And what their strategy was, they, they would come in with their own people, they would displace the people who were there. And so the Samaritan people started intermarrying, and they mixed in with the culture uh, of those people that came in. And so the Samaritan people in, in Jesus' time were a mix of foreigners and Israelite people and uh, they, they had, even their religion had diverged. They'd gone in separate ways to the Jewish religion. They built a, a temple in the north, which is in the Old Testament, God had said not to do. They were supposed to center their worship at that time around, uh, around Jerusalem. So to the Jewish people, the Samaritans were at best compromised, but even impure. 
So that explains the woman's surprise. They, just, they weren't meant to mix like that. So isn't it great to see Jesus just isn't bound by those social conventions? He, he has something to offer this woman, and it, just, it doesn't matter where she's from or what her background is. It's a free offer to anyone who will accept it, no matter where they're from or what their background is. And so this is where Jesus says that if she truly knew who he was, she would know that he offered something far better than just that water that she came to the well for. Jesus, he says, offers her living water. Now, you'd wonder, and I kind of think the first question would almost be, living water, like what's the distinction? What, what are you talking about there? What on earth is that? But the woman seems to miss that, and she just kind of thinks about the well, and she wants to know how in that dry place without a bucket is he getting water? Uh, even Jacob had to dig there and, and, and get his well in that way. Well, Jesus answers in verse 13 that it's, it's different. What he's talking about is not like the water in that well that you have to keep coming back for, you have to keep refreshing. This is something that will never, ever run out. It's something that satisfies forever. And, and Jesus explains that what he's talking about, it's, a, it's an image. He's talking about eternal life. Jesus is offering the Samaritan woman eternal life, life that never, ever runs out. Now, that rolls off the tongue. We know our John 3.16, that's what God's about, eternal life. Uh, but let us sit with you a while and think about what that means and what Jesus is offering. Jesus is offering not just a short burst of satisfaction for a bit, you know, like your holiday where you, you, know, you go for a fishing trip or something and then you know it's temporary, you've got to come back to work on Monday. <laughs> or your possessions that are shiny and new one minute and then they rust and break and get old. He says that once you have that living water, you have what truly satisfies forever. He says it, it, it wells up. It's like a spring that doesn't run dry. It bubbles over for eternity. And you know the other thing that I love about this living water? He says that it's a gift. It's a gift. It's something freely given to us by God. So what does Jesus offer that's so good? Life as a gift that goes on forever and fully satisfied. That's the gift that Jesus offers. And it's a gift that is just so much better than any hedonistic, anything in our hedonistic, pleasure-seeking culture could ever offer because it never runs out. And it puts both good things that we strive for and even our vices into perspective. At times we all try to satisfy our thirst for satisfaction in life in things other than Jesus. And this reminds us that that will never work. It's like trying to quench our thirst with a big old cup of sand. It's just never going to work. I remember uh, when I first became a Christian, I was about 19 years old, and uh, you know, that's the time of life where you're just trying to work out what you're going to live for, what life is all about, and I was you know, finding things pretty difficult in certain ways. And becoming a Christian just felt like this weight had lifted off my shoulders. Why? Because unlike almost any other aspect of our life, this gift... Our standing with Jesus is not based on our performance, on our achievements, on what we bring to the table. And Jesus will go on to give his life for ours. That's how, we, that's how we have access to this gift. We access this eternal life because of what Jesus has done for us, dying in our place for our sins on the cross. 
Our punishment for our own sin has been dealt with fully and finally by Jesus. So now that that eternal life he offers is a free gift that we simply don't have to earn. And it's a free gift to any who will accept it. How liberating is that? It's so liberating to know we don't have to work for our approval before God. We don't have to work for this eternal life, for this living water. God gives it as a free gift. And how much pressure does that take off all the things that we strive for or we're tempted to strive for to find our full satisfaction? We, we, the pressure is off those things. We can see them as good gifts, sure, but as temporary, as fleeting and so when they let us down or when they break or, you know, when the premiership's kind of good but they're just one of the 16 teams the next year, that's okay because we're not looking for our full satisfaction and joy in life in those things. We know that there's something better that we're living for and that eternal life is ours. Perhaps as you remember that Jesus quenches your, your thirst for satisfaction in life, there's certain vices that come to mind, activities that you know are sinful come to mind. Perhaps there's something that you look to satisfaction in that you know God doesn't want you to be doing. And this reminds us that whatever that is, it could even be satisfying for a little while. It's not ultimately going to satisfy. And it's like drinking that cup of sand to quench your thirst. It's never going to work. Jesus just offers something so much better. The second aspect I want to point out this morning is that the gift that God gives, in fact, is God himself. The reason eternal life is so good is because it's with God himself. And that's good news for us because there's no other relationship that fully satisfies like a relationship with God. The living God who made us, who knows why we're made, who knows what we're made for. And who is fully satisfying in who he is. The conversation continues in verse 15. We see that the Samaritan woman hasn't understood Jesus yet. So Jesus changes his tact and he reveals to her knowledge that he could not possibly have known on, on, a, on a purely human level. In verses 16 to 18, he, he reveals to her that he knows she's had five husbands and now lives with a man who isn't her husband. Now, we don't know why that's the case, whether the, some of the husbands had died, all of them had died, whether they'd been divorced. I mean, we don't know. But the woman's answer that, you know, oh, well, I have no husband, it sounds like she's kind of trying to avoid the conversation and put Jesus off a bit there and avoid that topic. And perhaps there's, I mean, I read again that according to Jewish law at the time, you shouldn't have any more than three husbands over the course of your life. Maybe there's something there. Perhaps there was a bit of a scandal about a living arrangement. You know, sometimes in the Bible you just wish there was a little bit more detail to tell you and, and it, obviously we just don't need it. But why does, why does Jesus mention that, uh, this then? Well, it's a way for him to start to reveal, reveal to her his identity, who he is. And he confronts the way that she might be looking for her satisfaction in relationships, where they can so often be a good thing, but not as good as what he's offering. Even something good like marriage can fail you and let you down, but Jesus offers is not like that. It will never let us down because he's offering a relationship with him. So in the next section, verses 19 to 26, Jesus explicitly reveals his identities as they start to talk again. Uh, that is in verse 26, he says that he is, he confirms that he is the Messiah, God's chosen representative, God's son, God's king, 
the one that the Jewish people had been waiting for for, for centuries to reveal God to them, to save God's people. Jesus confirms that that's who he is, and that is a really huge deal. Now, Jesus' insight into her life, I mean, she's still kind of, there's still that little game they're playing in a way. She, uh, the woman at least admits that he's a prophet. She admits that he's somehow inspired or being given knowledge by God, and there's something a bit different uh, about him. But then she, she said before this um, that, you know, that, that's fine, but, but I'm still a bit uncertain. I'm still struggling to listen to you because we Samaritans, uh, uh, we have this theological problem with you Jews. And that is that we worship on this mountain, but, you know, there was once a temple here, but you say we have to worship in Jerusalem, and you kind of think, you know, it's a bit hard to work out what what that has to do with anything. I wonder if you can relate to this. You have conversations with people about your faith and about Jesus, and it seems as though they have all these opinions that they want to share, and you sort of wonder, well, but actually, have you ever kind of just stopped and listened to what Jesus has to say? Have you listened? Have you read his word in the Bible? Well, Jesus is, of course, really patient with her. And he says there's no need to go into detail dealing with this Samaritan versus Jewish uh, temple debate because it's soon going to be an irrelevant question. Jesus is going to say, you don't worship God the Father in either Samaria or Jerusalem alone anymore. He does say that salvation comes from the Jews. That is, God was revealing himself through the Jewish people and their history and the things that he... uh, the, the things that he revealed in the law, the scriptures that they have. So they have knowledge of God. Uh, but this, and the Samaritan religion was not part of that, that true revelation from God. But have a look at verse 23, if you've got your Bible there. He says, something different is happening now. He says, something different is happening in this time. Uh, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In verse 24, he says, God is spirit, he is invisible. He's not contained to any building of any sort, whether back then a temple or now a church. I mean, God is, is without human body like us. He's, he's everywhere. Uh, and so when Jesus speaks of this living water, you know, that, that's the, 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 the image of the spirit flowing out and, and being in all people who follow Jesus. How does God give us this experience of himself? By pouring his Holy Spirit into those people who accept Jesus. And that's something that was anticipated in the Old Testament in places like Isaiah chapter 44 verse 3. The pouring out of God's Spirit will be like water on, uh, pouring water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my Spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. You see, that's a picture when we receive the Holy Spirit. You see, it's, it's an image that we, our thirst is quenched, our desire for satisfaction and for joy and contentment in life is met. We have life and nourishment and all those good things when the Spirit of God is poured out on us. And of course, God being Spirit, He is that presence with us. The gift is God Himself. We get to enjoy a relationship with God forever. And that's the good news of the gospel. Someone said to me recently that uh, I was trying to catch up with them and they said, well, we, well, I can't see you at the moment because uh, I haven't bought you Christmas presents. So we just have to wait until I get you Christmas presents. So I'm thinking, I don't know if they'll ever get the Christmas presents. And, and I, you know, I, I said to them, but 
you know, it's not, that's not what it's about. It's not just about the things I get from you. I mean, the joy that we have is, is, is in relationship with one another. The, the relationship is what matters, not the stuff we get from you. And it's like that with us and God. But God is inter, infinitely satisfying because who, of who he is. And when we have his spirit, we have that experience firsthand of knowing God and knowing that he's someone that we're going to want to be with forever. In fact, the satisfaction in Jesus' living water is that we can know and worship God in spirit and in truth. If we have God's, word, uh, God's spirit poured out on us, we become worshippers in spirit and in truth. Now, what is worship? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's valuing and, and treasuring something so much that we just want to express that. We want to declare that thing's praises. And in the case of Jesus, we want to live with purpose for Jesus. So imagine how significant that makes absolutely everything that we do. Paul fleshes this out in, uh, further in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, uh, where he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. When we have the Spirit of God, everything that we do has the potential to be an act of worship. And that, again, is a great gift to us because it gives our life such meaning and purpose in a way that nothing else could possibly do. We see that we don't have to wait until we're in the right time or the right place. We don't have to be together in the church building to worship, although that's wonderful to do. But the time has come for us to worship God wherever we are, in spirit and in truth, because God's spirit is with us and working through us and even flowing out of us. God's Spirit allows us to have true knowledge of God. The Spirit is called the, the Spirit of truth elsewhere in John's Gospel, in chapter 14, verse 17, in fact. And so, as we read His Word, the Spirit confirms to us and helps us to understand the truth of His Word. He brings to mind those truths daily, as I'm sure many of you have experienced. He, he brings you comfort in times of grief, in times of stress and anxiety. There's just so many wonderful benefits that we have from being in a true relationship with God. The Spirit of God reveals the truth of God's word to us. Spirit and truth go together in that way. And we know that the Spirit of God is God personally with us, relating with us. And because we have God's Spirit, that's, that's how we, we flow out. Again, that image of the river of life, that as we go out, we are people who carry God's Spirit with us. The Spirit who brings life and nourishes and, and brings goodness to this world. Uh, that, that's us going out into this world to offer that to other people. What higher purpose could we possibly live for than that? Uh, one of my first jobs out of high school, well, I, I did a year of uni and, and then uh, worked in a real estate company for a little bit. And as I said, that was when I was trying to work out what life was all about. And I, I kind of thought, well, it's, it's probably, you know, it's about achieving a really good career and getting lots of money. And uh, I was talking to uh, a really senior guy in the uh, real estate. He was a consultant for the real estate company I was working with. And, and he agreed with that kind of world, uh, view of the world. He said, yeah, I've got a book I'll give you, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. I want you to promise you're going to read this book. You know, this is going to bring you success and satisfaction if you follow all the steps in this book. And the funny thing was, as I was reading that book, I'd also bought myself a Bible uh, by an encouragement from Nathan. Uh, I bought myself a, a Bible from the Bible shop in the city. And I was reading the Bible at the same time and just... Just comparing those two, I'd promised him, I felt so bad that I'd read this book and I just, I had to stop, I couldn't do it. 
you know, this kind of living for wealth and striving for that, it was anxiety, you know, producing. It was, will I ever have enough? How will I know if I'll ever have enough? And Jesus is saying he offers living water that will satisfy us forever. The woman at this stage still seems hesitant about Jesus' offer. She says, well, you know, she defers him. We've talked about this already. The Messiah will explain everything. And, um, and Jesus, as I said before, revealed that he is that Messiah. And we learn from Jesus' example that we can just keep, keep being patient with people. We have something really good to offer people when we offer them the gift of, of, of living water that Jesus pours out. We, we can go out of here as that river of life. We can, we can start to think, well, who can, I, who can I encourage to see Jesus for who he is? To know that there's no better purpose in life than to worship him. We can take a step to go to people who might be really different to us, from a different background, from a different culture. Of course, you know, that can be difficult. It requires building relationships, getting to know other people. Maybe you think... You're not that outgoing or good at building relationships. I don't know what it is. But just remember what God has done for you and the joy and the satisfaction that he's brought to your life. That is what you offer to the people that you meet. And so when we speak to people about Jesus, we're showing them love by pointing them to the person of, of, of God, of who he is. That he offers eternal life that nothing else will satisfy like that. It's really nice that, you know, in subsequent verses you learn the woman, indeed, she, she does start following Jesus, actually, and, and her, her witness even causes others to do the same. The living water, kind of, it does. It bubbles through her its surface, comes to the surface. And through her witness, that starts to spread. And, you know, we live in a world that needs the presence of God. They're dying of thirst. They're looking for satisfaction in things that will only frustrate and disappoint Jesus offers something so much better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for pouring out your spirit on us as we live in this world for your glory. There's nothing else that satisfies like a relationship with you. Please remind each one of us that, uh, of that this week so that we will go out as that river of life bringing nourishment and goodness to everyone we meet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.